Hello, this is Peggy Joyce Ruth. Welcome to our podcast and hope you enjoy this teaching. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org. Have you noticed when you're reading through the Gospels and when you're reading, especially in the book of Matthew, have you noticed that on every page it talks about the kingdom of God? the kingdom of God this, the kingdom of God that. And when Jesus was giving all of the parables, he would say the kingdom of God is likened unto thus and so. Well, I have so many people that'll come up and they'll say to me, you know, what is the kingdom of God? And most people think that the kingdom of God is just talking about heaven. Well, it's a lot more than that. Jesus told us that the kingdom of God starts right now. He said, it's right in your midst and it starts now. If it's going to begin right now, then we need to learn exactly what it is. Now, I want you to look at Romans 14, 17, because Paul gives us the definition now of the kingdom of God. Now, when we get a definition out of the word of God, then we know that we're knowing exactly what God's trying to tell us that it is. And so in Romans 14, verse 17, it starts out by saying the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Okay, in other words, it's letting us know that the kingdom of God is not a physical kingdom. It's not just a physical kingdom like the United States or the kingdom there in England or something like that. Now, one day it will be a physical kingdom on this earth. But right now, the kingdom of God is a state of being. And he says it's not eating or drinking, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God now is... A state of being where we walk in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We walk in the joy of the Holy Spirit. We walk in the peace of God. That's what the kingdom of God is. And I think it's interesting that God described his earthly spiritual kingdom with three words. Now, if he had come up to one of us and if he had said, now, I want you to tell somebody what the kingdom of God is, we would have sat down and probably wrote a book because it involves so much and we wouldn't have had any idea how to stop. We would have just gone on and on and on trying to tell what the kingdom is. But God described his kingdom in three words. He has such a simple way of putting forth his truths. He said it's righteousness, it's peace, and it's joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, today, we're just going to pull out peace. And we're going to do an in-depth study on the God kind of peace. Because peace is one of the three ingredients now that makes up the kingdom of God. Now, peace is probably the number one most sought-after state of being. You know, you really don't hear many people going around saying, Oh, I'm just searching after the righteousness of Jesus. Now, that'd be nice if we'd do that, but not many people do that. You don't hear many people going around saying, Oh, I just need joy. And we do need joy. But you hear the world And Christians and non-Christians alike saying, I need peace. Everywhere you go, people are talking about peace. Now, the world and many Christians are looking for peace in all the wrong places. And that's really sad, but they're looking to Eastern religions. They're looking to the New Age, trying to find peace. They're trying to look to all kinds of meditation. You'll find people looking to sex. They look to alcohol, drugs. They're looking everywhere trying to find peace. Now, even though they're looking in all the wrong places, just the fact that they're looking for it and they're saying, we need peace, we need peace, that shows that there's an innate desire, there's an innate need on the inside of each one of us. And of course, every time they find peace in the wrong place, it's just a temporary peace. It doesn't last. But nonetheless, this shows us the state that the world's in. 
that it's desperately wanting peace. Now, when our children were small, we saw tropical fish. And we had this lady that would come over pretty often, and she would just put her chair down in front of the fish boats, and she would sit there and just watch the fish. And she kept telling me, well, I like to come here and watch the fish because it makes me feel peaceful. Now, I realized looking back that I missed a real opportunity to lead her to the real peace, and that's what she was looking for. And I think, you know, I can't believe that I let her sit there and watch the fish, and I didn't give her what she was really looking for. When you see the advertisements, I mean, everything is advertising peace. You know, they're selling soap, but they're talking about, you know, this will bring peace into your life. Everything you look at. Now, one bumper sticker said, think world peace. Well, whoever wrote that bumper sticker, they were fantasizing over the fact that if everyone at the same time would think world peace, they were thinking, well, maybe we can get peace. Well, of course, that's fantasy because Jeremiah 6 verse 14 tells us that the world's going to say, peace, peace, but there is no peace. But the good thing is that God is telling us that we can have peace. Now, later I want you to look up 1 Peter 3.11. But in 1 Peter 3.11, we are told to pursue peace, seek after peace. Now, we need to learn how to seek after peace because if we don't, we're going to be just exactly like the world. We'll seek after it in the wrong places. But there's three kinds of peace that comes from God. Number one, the peace that we make with God. Number two, there's the peace that we make with self our peace that we make in our inner man, and then there's the peace with our fellow man. Now today we're going to be looking at peace with God and peace with self, and later we'll do a Bible study on peace with fellow man, but that'll take a whole Bible study in itself. Now I want you to turn to Isaiah 53 verse 5, because this is the foundational scripture now for peace with God. Now I'm going to spend just a few minutes on peace with God, and then we're going to go into peace with self. That's what I want us to concentrate on. But every man, woman, boy, and girl who has never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior, they have a God-shaped vacuum on the inside. There's just an empty spot inside of them. And absolutely nothing is going to bring peace. Nothing's going to be able to fill up that vacuum, that void, apart from the blood of Jesus. Now, this prophecy was written actually hundreds of years before Jesus died on the cross. But Isaiah was prophesying what was going to happen in the future that was going to bring peace with God. Okay, in Isaiah 53, verse 5, it says, But he, the Messiah, was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment for our well-being fell upon him. Now, if you've got an amplified, it'll say the punishment needful for us to obtain peace with God fell on him. That's actually the correct translation because the punishment for our sins that was needful to make peace with God fell on him. He took that punishment so that we could have peace with God. Man was separated from God because of sin. Now, God didn't separate us. He didn't cause that gulf, but sin caused that. And because of that sin, there was this great gulf between man and God. I remember when I was a teenager, mother and dad took us to the Grand Canyon. And I remember standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and looking across that great gulf and thinking about what it must have been like when the early settlers were going west and they come up to the Grand Canyon and they see this huge gulf and they think, oh, my journey's over. There's no way to cross this great gulf and get on the other side. 
And as I stood there thinking about that, I thought about the fact that sin created a more impossible gulf to cross than that Grand Canyon ever thought about being. But the gulf was between man and God, and that separation from God was torment. There's nothing more tormenting than a separation from God. It's a torment beyond anything that anyone can even imagine. Now, I truly believe that the worst part of hell is going to be the torment of being eternally separated from God. I think that's what the torment's going to be. Now, I remember years ago when I was having emotional problems, the torment that I experienced every day was because I felt separated from God. It's not that God was far away from me, but I felt separated. I felt like I couldn't reach and find God. And so I was tormented night and day. And that's why the Bible tells us that Jesus brought peace. Later, you can look up Romans 5.1, but it says, having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God because of the blood of Jesus. We have peace with God now because of that. Now, that's why it's described as peace, because peace is the opposite of torment. And God knew that torment was going to be there because of the separation, but he knew that when Jesus came and shed his blood, then he literally was going to make peace for man to be then with God. The separation was going to be gone. Now, I don't know how many of you remember what it was like before you came to know the Lord. You know, some of you have not been with the Lord long, and so you remember what it felt like before you knew the Lord. And if you'll remember, you just had an emptiness. You felt separated from God, and there was just a churning on the inside. There was a restlessness, and nothing could take care of it. Nothing could feel that restlessness. Even in the middle of a crowd, you might be with a lot of people, and you would still feel that emptiness. There was that hurt down on the inside, and it was like you had this hurt there, and you couldn't do anything about it. Well, it was because there was an emptiness. You needed God. But once a person then accepts Jesus into his heart and makes him Lord, then all of a sudden that God-shaped vacuum is filled up. And when Jesus indwells in our inner man, we have peace with God simply because there's no more separation. That gulf has come back together unless we move away into sin and, and walk away from him. We had this young man call last week from college. He called Jack and he said, I'm just tormented. See, he's a Christian and he had gotten away from God. And he said, I've gotten away from God. I feel like I'm in a hole. I feel like I can't crawl out of the hole and I'm just tormented. And Jack talked to him for a long time. But after Jack hung up, he said, you know, that emptiness and that torment's going to be there until he repents and just turns around and comes back to God. Because anytime we're away from God, that's what brings on the torment. So no wonder now the Bible tells us that Jesus has become our peace. See, he's the way across that gulf. He's the way across that separation. Okay, now, after a person has come to know the Lord, they've made peace with God. Why is it then that our mind and our emotions at times are still ill at rest? Why are we still needing peace in our mind and our emotions if we have the Lord living in our heart? Okay, now this brings me to the second category of peace. This is peace with self. Now, there are a lot of Christians, and they've made their peace with God. They've learned how to come into knowing the Lord as their Lord and Savior. They know that one day they're going to live eternally with God in heaven, and they have peace in their inner man concerning their eternity. But they've never learned how to appropriate that peace into the soulish realm. 
They've never been able to take that peace and allow it to flood their mind and flood their will, their decision-making and, and flood their emotions. They've never learned how to do that. And because so many Christians now don't know how to do that, then they're out still looking for peace, not knowing that that peace they have in their inner man from knowing Jesus, not knowing that all they have to do is learn how to appropriate that into their soulish realm. The minute that we come to know the Lord, it's taken care of in our spirit man. But there's something in our mind and our emotions where we have to go out and we have to pursue that peace there. And that's exactly what Peter was talking about in 1 Peter 3.11 when he said pursue peace. He was talking to Christians. So he wasn't necessarily saying pursue the peace of knowing God, of making God your Lord. He was talking about pursuing the peace in your soulish realm, appropriating that peace with God so that you can walk in peace in your mind and in your emotions. Now the Bible very clearly tells us how to do that. But you know, sometimes we don't take the Bible seriously enough. And sometimes we just read past these scriptures and we don't pay that much attention. But you know, today, I'm wanting us to look into how to bring that peace with God into our mind and emotions. Because if you took a survey, you'd find that most Christians, if they'll be honest, they'll say, you know, no, I really don't have the peace that I need. I have peace in my heart, but I don't have peace in my mind. I don't have peace in my emotions. Now I need to say this, that the peace with God is the foundation. We can never have peace in our soulish realm if we haven't first made peace with God. That's the foundation. But then once we've made peace there, then we need to learn how to appropriate that peace into the soulish realm. And then the surprise is, once we start having peace in our mind and in our emotions, then it's going to filter into our physical body. And we're going to find our physical body becoming healed and healthy and, and prosperous there. You know, I used to read 3 John 2, where it says, I wish above all things, brethren, that you might be in health and prosper as your soul prospers. And I used to wonder, well, you know, why did he add that last little phrase, as your soul prospers? Why didn't he just say, I wish you'd be in health and I wish you'd be prosperous? Well, John knew that we're not going to have any more health in our physical bodies and we're not going to have any more total prosperity, the God kind of prosperity, than that which comes from the peace in our mind and in our emotions. And he knew that. And so that's why I want you to take a little inventory tonight. I want you to ask yourselves, what percent of the time do I walk in peace? Now, I'm not talking about the peace concerning your eternal destiny. I'm believing you've got total peace there. But if you're a Christian, that's settled. But I want you to ask yourself, what percent of the time is my mind at ease? Of what percent of the time are my emotions calm where my emotions are not churning? Because see, no one else can answer this for you because this is something that in the middle of the night when no one else is around, you're having to decide, is my mind racing or my emotions churning or do I have peace there? You may be able to say, hey, I've got peace 80% of the time or 50% of the time. But I know that some of you would have to say, my mind races all the time. My emotions are churning most of the time. Very few times do I actually have peace. Now, we need to come to a place where we're not satisfied with a partial peace. See, God never intended us to have a partial peace. He's told us to pursue the perfect peace. And if we're settling for a partial peace, then we're never going to have the fullness of the kingdom living. 
We're never going to have the fullness of the abundant life that God intends us to have into perfect peace. And when you look up that word perfect, it means constant, a constant peace. And some of us look at that and we just can't even fathom what it would be like to walk in constant peace. But God says we can have it. So the harder we pursue it, the more we're going to be able to enjoy it. You know, I can remember when I was sick and apart from God, I couldn't fathom then what it would be like just to have the peace of knowing that my eternity was settled. And now I look at that, and I think, God, you really did do that. You know, now I have that peace. Now I have that assurance. And that lets me know that even though we might look at this peace in our mind and emotions and not be able to fathom what that would be like, if we will pursue that, God's going to show us how to operate, how to come into that. If the Word says it's available, it's available. Now, it's worth anything it takes to pursue what the Word says is ours. Now, I want you to stretch out your boundaries a little bit today because I believe that God has a new dimension that He wants to bring us into. I truly believe that. I'm going to be giving you three facts that you need to know about peace before we can learn how to walk in it. Number one, we need to ask ourselves, what is it that robs our peace? Think about what it is that robs your peace. I'm talking about the peace in, in the soulish realm. I'm not talking about your peace with your eternity now. Okay, I want you to realize that what robs your peace is always going to be some circumstance that comes up. Some person or something on the outside around you. See, it's going to be some kind of an external source that always robs your peace with self. Now, some people have peace until they get their paycheck and they find out that their paycheck's not going to reach the end of the month. Or some people have peace until they find physical symptoms on their body. Or other people will have peace until they have to take a test or until they have some kind of confrontation. Or other people have peace as long as those around them are in a good mood. If they have everybody around them in a good mood, then they're at peace. If you're married, you may have to admit that you have peace as long as your mate is peaceful. But when your mate's not peaceful, then your peace goes out the window. Or sometimes it's just a thought that goes into your mind. It'll be just a thought that comes through. But see, those thoughts, that's still an external thing coming in from the enemy. But that thought will cause you to lose your peace. Remember, Satan always works from the outside in. He works through circumstances. Okay, so the first thing that robs peace then, the number one thing we have to know is that our peace is robbed because of external things, because of circumstances. Okay, number two, next we need to pinpoint who governs those circumstances. Okay, now Satan is the God of this world and he can arrange circumstances. A lot of people don't realize that. But as long as we are allowing our peace to be governed by the circumstances around us, I guarantee you Satan is going to see to it that the right kind of circumstances are put in your pathway to rob you of your peace. And you're going to be on a roller coaster as long as you're being moved by those circumstances. Okay, then number three, I want you to realize that there is a difference between a worldly peace which is Satan's perversion, and the God kind of peace. And you may be thinking, well, what's the difference? You know, how can you categorize peace? Because, you know, most people think, well, peace is peace. You know, what's the difference? Well, I want you to see that there is a difference. I want you to look at John 14, 27. Jesus makes the distinction. And he's talking to his disciples and he says, peace I leave with you. He said, my peace I give to you. And then he says very clearly, it's not as the world gives. So he's saying there's a difference. 
There's a difference between the peace he gives and the peace that the world gives. He said, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be fearful. Okay, did you know that you can choose not to let your heart be fearful? We can make that choice. It's a choice. But as long as we're looking to circumstances to determine now our peace, we're never going to be the one in control of our mind and emotions. Now, I've had people say, well, that's easy for some people to say because they've never lost their job. Or that's easy for people to say because they've never lost their fortune. Or they've never had the marital problems that I've had. Or they've never had the problems with their children that I've had. Well, I want you to notice something. Jesus gave this promise to his disciples. And when he said, I'm going to give you peace, he was giving it to his disciples who he knew were about to go through some of the most devastating circumstances that the world has ever known. See, these disciples, they thought that he was going to set up an earthly kingdom. They thought that they were going to be a big part of that earthly kingdom, and they were excited. They had put all their hopes and all their dreams into what they thought was about to happen. And he knew that their hopes and their dreams were about to be dashed to the ground because he knew that the circumstances around his death was going to shatter their hopes. But even knowing that, and even knowing what they were going to face, in spite of all that, he still said, I'm going to give you a peace that's going to work. But it's going to be a peace that's different than the world has. It's not going to be a worldly peace. Now, it really helped me to realize that I'm never going to go through anything that even closely compares to what these disciples were about to go through. I'm never going to have to face anything as devastating as they were about to face. So if Jesus said, the peace that I'm going to give you is going to take care of the circumstances that you're about to go through, then that means that anything I might go through, his peace is sufficient for that. Now, if you'll remember that and if you'll mark that and, and put a little mark out in the margin and remind yourself what these disciples were about to go through, and yet Jesus still said, my peace is going to be sufficient for you. Now, Jack has always said that all problems are relative. If a person finds out they have terminal cancer, now anyone would say that's a big problem. But if a person doesn't have something that big, maybe their only car's broken down and they don't have any way to get around. Okay, that may be then the thing that's robbing their peace, but that's still big to them if that's the circumstances that they're facing. And if you don't have anything as big as sickness or a broken down car, maybe you just spilled a gallon of milk on the carpet in your living room. Okay, that's going to be your biggie. That's the circumstances that are there to rob your peace. Now, every problem is going to be relative. So whatever the biggest problem in your life is at the moment is going to be what governs your peace unless you come to the place where you say, no, in John 14, verse 27, I'm going to allow this to come alive to me and I'm going to walk in this peace that Christ has made available to me. Now, that kind of peace is not going to depend on a paycheck. The kind of peace he's talking about is not going to depend on the attitude of somebody that's with us. It's not going to depend on anything that's temporal. And we hear that and we think, you know, how can I divorce myself from the circumstances in this world? Because, you know, I live in this world. I may not be of the world, but I definitely am in it. So how can I divorce myself from these circumstances that I'm faced with every single day? Well, do you remember what we said about joy in the past? We said that joy was a spiritual force. Now, joy doesn't come to us from the outside. 
Happiness is based on the circumstances around us. But joy is something that's on the inside that comes up out of our innermost being, and it's a spiritual force. It comes up out of man. It's a characteristic of God. Okay, in the same way, we're going to find that peace is another one of those spiritual forces. It's the God kind of peace. It's not an emotion. It's not a frame of mind. Peace is a person. Peace is a character trait of God. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Peace literally is a character trait of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. And that peace now is going to come up from the inside regardless of outward circumstances if we learn how to walk in it. Now, most Christians have never accomplished that goal. They've never been taught how to walk in it. Now, I've heard Jack say so many times, well, you know, the situation, the circumstances look really bad, but I have a peace. Or there might be another time when you'll say, well, everything looks to be okay, but my peace is gone. We're going to have to start going by that peace rather than training ourselves not to go by the circumstances. Now, God is telling us to pursue this kind of peace that Jesus was talking about in verse 27. And he said, if we'll do that, we're going to come into abundant life. Now, God knows that there's a lot of problems in our world today. He knows that we're going to be faced with all those things. And that's why the Bible is so adamant about our pursuing peace. Now, he knew that there was never going to be a time when everyone would have all of their circumstances exactly like they wanted them. When we get a few ducks in a row, there's a few ducks over here that get out of line. And so there's never a time when we have everything exactly like we want it. But he's saying in spite of that, you can have the God kind of peace. Now, God has given us two formulas in the Word of God for developing this kind of peace. There's one formula in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. Now, Christianity is not a rule and a formula, but there are some formulas in the Word of God that work, just like the law of sowing and reaping. And one of these formulas for peace in the Old Testament is the one we're going to look at tonight, and then next week we'll look at the one in the New Testament. But I promise you, if you'll take either one of these formulas and you put them to work, they will work, and they'll work every single time. Now, I want you to look at Isaiah 26.3. I'm going to be reading it to you out of the King James. I memorized this when I was in GAs, but I just memorized words. It didn't really mean anything to me. And I believe in memorizing, but I also believe in taking it and putting it on the inside of you and letting God really let it come alive on the inside. Now, the King James says, he, talking about God, will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind is stayed on him, stayed on his word, the one who trusts in him. Okay, now that verse three again, that word perfect peace now is meaning constant peace. Okay, so he's saying, I will keep in constant, continuous peace the one whose mind is stayed on him, stayed on the word of God, the one who trusts in him. Now we can actually walk in perfect, constant peace if we'll follow this formula. In this particular scripture, the word that's used here for mind really is mind. When you look it up in the Hebrew, it's not talking about your spirit, man. It's talking about the mind. This is one of the few places where this Hebrew word for mind is used. So God is saying, I'm going to keep you in perfect peace, but it has to do with where your mind is. I want you to look at this scripture backwards because actually the last part has to come first. This is a scripture that you build on from the bottom up. 
Okay, he's saying that the one who comes to the place of learning how to trust in God, in other words, who comes into a trust walk or a love walk, will then be able to keep his mind stayed on the Word of God. It takes that trust walk first. But the one who's in that trust walk will be able to keep his mind stayed on the Word of God. And when he does, then as long as his mind is stayed on the Word of God, he's going to have constant peace. Okay, let's break it down. I want us to look at the key words now in this formula. Now the main key word is trust in this. You need to circle the key words. But the main key word is trust. Now I'm going to give you the definition of trust. It means a solid, immovable, constant confidence in the reliability of God. Okay, a solid Immovable. We're immovable. We're not moving away from our constant confidence in the fact that God is reliable. Okay, now there were two other words mentioned in connection with this definition of trust when I looked it up. The solid, immovable, constant confidence, but the two other words were secure and expect. And I thought, well, that's true because if we have this solid, immovable confidence in God, we're going to be secure. And the other word was expect. Now that lets us know that trust is not passive. See, trust means actively expecting that God's going to do exactly what he promises to do. Now trust is different than faith. You know, sometimes we can move in an area of faith, maybe a gift of faith and move a mountain. And then maybe the very next day we feel so weak in our faith that we think we can't even get out of bed. And that's when we have to choose faith at times, you know, to keep ourselves from being on a roller coaster. But trust is different because trust comes from knowing God personally and intimately. That's where trust comes from. Now, when we spend enough time with the Lord, when we come to a place where we have experienced His presence, that's when we're going to come to a place where we know that we know exactly what God's going to do. When we come to that trust right. That doesn't happen overnight. That's something that we come into as we spend time with Him. Okay, now if you'll take this over in the natural, who is it that you trust? If you need to have someone that you know you can really trust, you're not going to go out in the street and find a stranger. You're not even going to trust someone that you casually know. The one that you're going to put your trust in is someone that you've gotten to know very, very well. Someone that you know exactly what they're going to do and you know that they're not going to let you down. It's going to be someone that has proved to you their trustworthiness. Now, when we come into this one-on-one -on -one fellowship where we know the Lord intimately, the circumstances around us are not going to interfere that much because it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. When you know God and you know what He's promised and you know what He's going to do, then you're not going to be shaken by those circumstances because you know deep down that God is there you know that he's never left you, that he's never going to leave you, he's never going to forsake you. You know that he's that constant help in time of need. And whether you feel like it or not, you know that he will never leave you and he'll do exactly what he's promised because you've developed a love walk. You've developed a trust walk. Now, if someone came in and told me that my husband was having an affair, it really wouldn't bother my peace at all because I know him. I know him and I know what he'll do and I know what he won't do because I know him because I've developed a trust in him. I know about his walk with God. Now, of course, he also knows me and he knows that I'd kill him and put him out of his misery. So, <laughs> you know, that's part of it. <laughs> but, 
Anyway, I still know him. We know each other. <laughs> but anyway, let's move on. But I want you to go to Second Timothy. Second Timothy 1.12. Okay, in 2 Timothy 1.12, this is a good scripture to demonstrate trust. This is one that you need to memorize. This is another one that I memorized out of the King James when I was growing up, but it didn't come to mean anything to me until later, until I was realizing that God was wanting me to come into peace. Okay, the King James, Paul said, I know the one in whom I've believed. Therefore, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed or that which I've entrusted to him. Okay, Paul said, I know the one in whom I've believed. Okay, Paul is saying, I know him. Therefore, I trust him. I trust him because I know him. Paul didn't just say, you know, I know about him. A lot of people know about God, but that's not a trust walk. He's saying, I know him, and therefore, I am persuaded. In other words, I'm expecting that he's going to do exactly what he promises to do. Now, Paul's talking about trust here. He's not talking about faith. He's talking about trust. And he's not talking about choosing to believe where he found a scripture and, and he decided, okay, he was going to choose to believe that promise, exercise faith. For it. He's not talking about that. He's talking about knowing God. He's talking about experiencing God. And that's why he was persuaded that God was going to be faithful because he knew it. Now, I've given this illustration several times before, but it's one of my favorite because it demonstrates trust so well. John Osteen told the story of how his little daughter came in one day and asked for a new dress, and this was on a Monday morning. And so he told her, okay, honey, Saturday, I'll take you down and I'll get you that new dress. And he said she started jumping up and down and clapping and dancing, and, and she was so excited. And he said he stood there for a long time watching her, and he thought, she doesn't have that dress. And she has no proof whatsoever that I'm going to get her that dress on Saturday. And yet she is as full of joy as if she were wearing that new dress. And John Osteen said that the Lord just spoke to him and said she knows her daddy. And she is confident in the fact that she can trust his word because she knows him. She knows that Saturday's coming. She's expecting. She may not have it now, but her daddy has promised and she knows it's going to come. Well, that's exactly what God's wanting from us. See, when we come to the place where we get to know him intimately, that whatever his word says, there's no problem to choose to believe it. Even though there's a waiting period, we're not worried about the waiting because we know Saturday's coming. See, trust is what's going to cause our faith to move over into, and I know that 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 my God is true and he'll never leave me. And when we come into that kind of trust, that's when we're not going to be moved by the circumstances. That's when it really doesn't matter that the reports, the things that happen, when we get solid in that trust wall. That's when we know, just like it talks about in Jeremiah 1.12, that our God is watching over his word and he's going to perform it. Now, trust is the only thing that can get us off the circumstances. There's absolutely nothing else that can keep those circumstances from bothering you. Only a trust walk with the Lord. So you can see then how trust is that first step toward the peace that God's talking about, the peace that Jesus was talking about, the peace in our mind. And that's why he says, I'm going to keep in perfect, constant peace the mind that is stayed on thee, stayed on thy word. Why? Because he trusts in thee. 
Okay, I want you to turn back for just a moment over in Isaiah 26, 3, because I want you to see the next key word. The first key word was trust. The second key word is stayed. And that word stayed means to hold on to something steadfastly. Have you ever had your mind so stayed on something that you actually lost contact with the circumstances around you? Well, there's a lot of people that would say, no, that's never happened to me. You know, I always know what's going on around me. Well, I have a feeling that at one time or another, you've either been reading a good book or you've been in the middle of a movie and you've gotten to the exciting part of the movie, or maybe some of you guys have been watching a ball game on TV and you were so caught up in what you were watching that you really lost contact with the people and what was going on around you. We've all been there. Okay, if that can happen in the natural, then that's what God's wanting us to take over into the spiritual realm. And I'm not talking about now being so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about there needs to come a time where our mind is so stayed on the Word of God that the things that are happening around us really don't matter because we've caught a glimpse of the fact that the God of the universe is speaking to us out of the Word. He's speaking to us in our spirit and nothing else really matters compared to that. And we can come to that. It takes disciplining ourselves to knowing that he's speaking to us, knowing that he's wanting that fellowship with us. But when we come into that kind of a relationship with him, then it's, it becomes easier and easier to just push the circumstances aside and say, Lord, if it doesn't line up with you, if it doesn't line up with your word, then it doesn't have anything to do with me because I'm in this kind of relationship with you. Now, your peace will be in exact proportion to the amount of time that you keep your mind stayed on the Word of God. If my mind is stayed on a promise when a circumstance comes, if I keep my mind stayed on the Word of God 10% of the time, I'm going to have 10% peace. But if 90% of the time I'm over there thinking about the circumstances, thinking and letting those fear thoughts in, then I'm going to have 90% of unrest, churning. Now, I've told this story before too, but... About 20 years ago, I'd gone to the eye doctor for a regular checkup, and while I was there, he told me something that I didn't want to hear, and it just absolutely scared me silly, and fear just engulfed me. And so he said, come back in the morning, and I'll check your eyes again. Well, when I left his office, my mind was far from being stayed on the Word of God. My mind was totally stayed on exactly what that doctor had said. And I knew that if I went back the next day, I knew that I would buy any bad report that he had to give me. I knew I was going to go back. I knew I was going to make an appointment and go back. But I knew that I had to do my homework first. I knew I had to do exactly what the Word of God told me to do or I was going to be in big trouble. So I spent the next three months literally taking those scriptures and saying those scriptures over and over and over until I had them in my spirit. And I'd use Galatians 3.13 and i say, Lord, you redeemed me from the curse. I know you redeemed me from the curse of the law. And part of the curse in Deuteronomy 28, 67 tells me that sickness and, and disease is a part of the curse. And I'd quote Psalm 91 and I'd say, Lord, I thank you that you've promised me that no pestilence, no destruction, no disease is going to be able to come near me, come near my eyes. And 
if I'll dwell in your word and if your word becomes real to me. And, and I would quote that and I'd quote Psalm 112 verse 6 and 7 where it says I'll not be shaken. That means my peace will not be gone. I'll not fear evil tidings because my heart is steadfast trusting in you. And I would say those things. I kept my mind stayed in the word of God. And then all of a sudden I'd find myself overthinking about vain imaginations and thinking about those things. And when I did and that peace was gone, then I'd have to pull myself back and pull myself back into the Word and repent and start getting that Word going again. Now, my peace was in direct proportion to where my mind was dwelling. Now, during that time, I was spending a lot of time alone with God. So trust also was beginning to be. And finally, after three months, I did go back. I made an appointment and went back and I got a good report and I've had a good report ever since. So the Word works, but there is a part for us to play. And some people think, well, it's just not worth the effort. Listen, it is so worth the effort. There is nothing to compare to that peace that God has for us. There's nothing to compare to that. Now, it may not be your eyes, but there's going to be something in your life that tries to get your mind off of the Word of God and onto the circumstances. There's going to be something that's going to try to cause you to lose your peace. And it's a scheme of the enemy. Now, it may be your finances. It may be your marriage. It may be your children. But whatever it is, if you'll take the scriptures, God will show you the scriptures for your particular situation. And if you'll start disciplining yourself to just concentrate your mind over onto what the Word of God says and repent when you get over there on what the world's saying and you come to a place where you say, God, this is what you're saying. Your Word says it, I believe it, and that settles it. Now, it does take a little discipline to practice staying our mind on the Word until the Word becomes bigger to us than the circumstances. It takes a little effort. But once you start doing it, it gets easier and easier and easier. I don't know how many of you have ever learned how to play the piano, but if you did, you remember that when you hit a wrong note, what you did, you went back immediately and you played it right. You hit the right note. Well, do the same thing. When you get a wrong attitude or a negative thought, or a fear thought comes in, we'll just back up and do it right. Get the Word of God going. Now, without even realizing then how it happens, you're going to find yourself walking in peace, and then all of a sudden it's going to be almost like that song that we sing. I love that song that we sing, When I look into your loveliness, when I gaze into your holiness, when all things that surround become shadows in the light of you, then I worship you, Lord. The reason I live is to worship you. That's what it's all about. God's wanting us to come to a place where we get so caught up in Him and so caught up in His Word that literally these circumstances around us become shadows in the light of Him. The person who wrote that song, they evidently had experienced that. They had stayed their mind on the Word until the circumstances had faded into the background. And yes, you know they're there, but it's faded into the background until it becomes a shadow in the light of God. And the bonus is this, that when we stay our mind on the Word of God, not only then do we receive that peace that passes human understanding, the peace that Jesus is talking about, not like the world has, but the peace that Jesus has, not only do we have that, but it's going to release a power. Remember I said it's a spiritual force. It's going to release a power in the spiritual realm that changes the adverse circumstances. Now that should be something that just makes you want to shout. Literally, it changed the circumstances concerning my eyes. It'll change the circumstances. So not only will you just walk in a peace, 
But that spiritual force is out there. You're doing spiritual warfare as you're quoting and believing the Word of God, and it's changing things. There's nothing more wonderful than the Word of God. It works. Now, next week, we're going to look at the New Testament formula for peace. But between now and next week, if you're really serious about pursuing peace and coming into a place of walking in this perfect peace, then I want you just to take this Isaiah 26.3, and I want you just to start putting it into practice. Just put into practice what we've talked about this week. And you're going to find out in one week's time it can make all the difference in the world. And it will have taken you so far in one week that you're going to want more. You're going to want to do it right. Father, thank you for your peace. Lord, the world is crying and clamoring after peace. The world's looking in all the wrong places, but nonetheless, the world is looking. They're searching because they have an emptiness and they need it. Now, Father, first of all, we have to have peace with you. We have to have that peace of having our spirit man filled up with you, Lord. But then once we have that, Father, I thank you that we don't have to stop there. I thank you then that we can appropriate that peace over where it floods our mind and our will and our emotions. Father, thank you for that. I thank you, Father, that you've shown us very clearly in the Word of God how to do that. Help us, Father, to put forth the effort because, Lord, it's worth whatever it takes. Any effort that we put forth, it's worth it to be able to walk in that peace that passes human understanding. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. Please share this teaching with anyone you think it would minister to. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org.